Would you please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel chapter 6. I should have said earlier, there's, for all the readings, there's page numbers on the pink sheet if you've got a church Bible, whether it's English or Chinese. There's also some notes to show what we're thinking about this morning. Matthew 6, let's read verses 9 to 13. It's the Lord Jesus speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have for a while been going through this prayer generally known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, what do you pray about? Forget the Lord's Prayer for a minute. Think about your prayers. What do you pray about? What do you pray for? Have a think. Get some examples in your mind. What do you pray for? What does it tell you about yourself? See, what you pray about tells you what you care about. Tells you what's on your heart. Tells you what needs you feel. So what do you pray for? I'll give you an example. I like cycling. When I set off on my bike, what do you think I pray for? Protection from accidents. Simple one, isn't it? I want to be kept safe. Then I think of something else I should pray for. There's another sort of protection. Protection from sin. You know it's possible to sin while cycling your bike. So I pray for protection from accidents. Then I pray for protection from sin. But then that shows me another thing I need to pray for. Do you know what that is? It reminds me I need to pray for God to work in my heart. Because I don't tend to feel the need for protection from sin as much as protection from accidents. Now that's a bad thing to have to admit to you, but the thought of a car hitting me or me planting my face in the tarmac worries me more than the thought of me sinning. That's a bad thing. I shouldn't have to admit that to you, but I have to. I'm being honest with you. And so that shows I need to pray another prayer, which is for God to work in my heart and bring me more into line with him, so that actually sinning against him bothers me more. So what do you pray for? What bothers you? What's on your heart? If the answer is you don't pray at all, you might think this next half an hour or whatever it will be, learning the Lord's Prayer is irrelevant to you. But please listen. Because behind this prayer is good news. It was told by Jesus so that Jesus who came into this world so you could be reconciled to God and know him and speak to him as your father. So today we've got to just about the end of the prayer. We've got to verse 13. And we've got to, we're just going to take this one little phrase and lead us not into temptation. I want to encourage you to pray that by what, how and why. What are we praying for? How is that prayer answered? Why pray it? That's the plan. First of all, what are we praying for? 
when we pray and lead us not into temptation. Now, here are two problems or two questions we face when trying to understand this prayer. If you've never thought of these problems, I'm not trying to confuse you by giving you some problems that you didn't have. I think actually considering these problems or questions will help us be clearer. What are we praying for? So here's the first one. What does the word temptation mean? You see, there's a word here, translated temptation, that could mean two things. It has two meanings. I'll tell you them. The first one is enticing to sin. That's the one you might be most familiar with. Temptation can mean enticing us to sin. Here's an example. Children, imagine I leave in the entrance hall afterwards a plate of sweets. There it is, left just where you can pass by. But I say, don't eat them. You're not allowed one. Don't take one. But I also put it under your nose. Oh, smell that chocolate. Do you like it? Oh, look at those sweets. You're feeling hungry? Kids and grown-ups love it so, the wonderful world of Haribo, but don't have one. What am I doing? I'm enticing you, I'm provoking and encouraging you to do the thing I've said not to do. Temptation can mean that. But it also, the very same word has another meaning used in the Bible. Trials and testing. Trials and testing, difficult things in life that try and test our faith. Illness, persecution, loneliness. They test whether we'll keep trusting God. Now, by the way, this is why we read James chapter 1. This very word in verse 13, temptation, is used in James 1 in both ways. Did you notice it said, it said about trials and testing? And it said, be thankful for them, they're good for you. But it's the same word as here. And then it said temptation, same word again, translated differently, temptation. It said temptation is not something that comes from God. It's, it's something God doesn't do to us. So you've got the same word used two different ways. Which one is it here in verse 13? Now, store that question in your mind. I'm not going to answer it yet. Because I want us to hear the second question. Next question is this. Why would we ask God not to lead us into temptation when James 1 says God doesn't tempt us? Did you notice when we read James 1, verse 13 says, don't blame God for when you're tempted. Of course God doesn't tempt you. God is so anti-sin, he would never want to entice anyone into sin. Don't blame God for what's actually coming from your own sin in your heart. So why would we ask God, lead us not into temptation? As I say, I'm not trying to present you with problems you didn't have, but the two questions help us get clear what are we praying for. So now I'll try to answer them. The answers to those two questions go together to help us understand. Here's the first one. Don't artificially separate testing and trials from temptations. You see, the reason that testing and trials do test and try us is because they involve some pressure to sin. They wouldn't test and try us if there was no pressure to sin. 
Why is illness a trial? Let's, let's pick that example. Why is illness a trial? Because it might get you grumbling. And grumbling is a sin. I hope we're all clear on that. Grumbling is a sin. Uh, because you might react by disbelief. How can God love me and allow this? That disbelief is a sin. Because you might say, I'm having a hard time. Life has got no comfort for me. I need, I deserve a bit of comfort. And you might use that to excuse greed. Or to drown your troubles in alcohol. You see, it it wouldn't be testing in a trial if there wasn't some way that it might encourage you to sin. Trials and temptations are not completely, sorry, trials and testing are not a completely different thing from temptation. And that helps us with the other question. God doesn't entice us to sin. God hates sin. He's never aiming to provoke and encourage and stir up sin. Never. He hates sin. But he does control our circumstances. All of them. He controls whether you're ill, or on your own, or under pressure at work. It's all in his hands. And he may use that to test your faith. He may use it as as an opportunity for your faith to be displayed and do others good. But you've got three enemies who may use it another way. Do you know what your three enemies are? The world, the flesh, the devil. The world means society that's anti-God. The flesh means the sinful desires that are still there in us, even if we're Christians. And the devil is God's big enemy, Satan, fallen angel. And they are the forces that will try to use our circumstances to entice us to sin. Like me putting the plate under the child's nose and saying, smell that chocolate. They'll say, look at that, isn't it desirable? They'll try to trip us and provoke us into sin. So, lead us not into temptation is praying, Father who controls all my circumstances, please protect me from being enticed into sin. Please don't let me be tested beyond what I can cope with. I've started there, actually, on the second part. So let's move into the second part. That that was the first part. What are we praying for? Here's the second part. How is that prayer answered? And I've sort of started that there, so let's do it properly now. How is that prayer answered? Three ways. First, by God's control. God answers this prayer by how he controls and arranges our circumstances. By the way, the term usually used for this is providence. How God controls our circumstances. We are asking God to control what we face in life so we don't get ambushed by the world, the flesh and the devil and fall for sin. So we don't get hit by enticements that we just can't cope with. That's what we're asking for in this prayer. God, please control things to protect me. Now, when when we're reading teachings of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, usually there's an Old Testament background that the first hearers would have been thinking of. And there is for this one. You see, they were Israelites, and the biggest event in their history was when God rescued their people, the Israelites, from Egypt. 
And he led them through the desert to the promised land. But he led them a long way round. Why was that? Exodus 13 verse 17 tells us. It says he led them a long way round to avoid enemies because they'd only just got out of Egypt and they were too inexperienced to cope with war. God was leading them the long way round temptation. Later, when they were more experienced, he led them through it. And they had to fight. But early on, he said, I'm going to lead you the long way round. You're too weak and inexperienced to cope with battle. Do you see the connection? Well, I try to explain it a bit like this. It's a bit like this. A mother has a daughter who needs to cross a road. How does she do it? Well, it depends. If she's one years old, straps her into a pushchair and pushes her. If she's five years old, holds her hand and teaches her to look left and right and take some responsibility. If she's ten years old, maybe she'll let her cross Thelmere Drive on her own. If she's twelve years old, maybe she'll let her cross Ashby Road on her own. By the way, I said maybe in case there's some children here thinking, oh, my parents don't let me. I've got to 12 and you're still not letting me. I, I said maybe. There's, there's judgment here to make. But I hope you get the point. Yeah, it depends. It depends on what they can cope with. And when we pray, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, we're, we're effectively praying this. Father, I'm a child and I need you to make that sort of decision for me. I need you to decide and control what I can face because you know better than me what I can cope with. Today I go to work. Father, please control what conversations I get into so I get opportunity to honour you, but I don't fall for temptation to deny you. You know what I can cope with. Father, please control what provocation from unreasonable people I get today so I get opportunity to show Christ-like character, but I don't fall for temptation to react with a bad temper. Now, do you see that the same situation can be an opportunity or an enticement? And we're saying, Father, you know better than me how it will work out. Protect me. Guide me. Lead me. I'm your child. That's not the only way that God leads us not into temptation. We've had God's control, but next, God's word. Think about the prayer. Children, have a look at verse 13 to make sure we're really clear on this. What are the first three words of verse 13? And lead us. How does God lead us? Well, we've just seen by controlling our circumstances, but he also leads us by telling us which way to go. In other words, he leads us by his word, the Bible. God directs us which way to go in the trials and the testing that we face. And we've had an example of this just two chapters before. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, God's control of circumstances led him into trial and testing. He was in the desert, he was hungry, and the devil came along. And God didn't try to entice Jesus to sin, no, it was the enemy tried to use the trial and the testing to entice him. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? 
first, he remembered. What he had read, so there was something that had to come before the remembering, he had to have read the Bible. He had to remember it, and then he did it. Now, do you see there a very precise pattern for us? We are involved in the answer to this prayer. We are involved. We don't just sit passively and wait. We need to read the Bible and get to know it. We need to remember it and we need to do it. You can't pray, verse 13, and lead us not into the temptation and at the same time keep looking at those magazines and websites that make you discontented with your house, your possessions, your looks, your spouse. And stir up coveting. You can't really, can you? Pray, lead us not into temptation and keep doing that. Because God leads us through his word and he tells us what we should do. Uh, on that subject, children, here's a story for you. It's, it's on the same subject of our, our involvement in the answer to this prayer. Here's a story for you. I'm told it's true, though I find it. I'm a bit sceptical of whether it is or not, but you can decide. An Australian billionaire wanted someone to pilot his luxury yacht. And various people applied for this great job, and he invited three of them to Sydney Harbour to test them out on piloting his luxury yacht. The first one steered the boat within yards of rocks at high speed, and everyone was impressed by his skill. The second one steered the yacht within inches of the cliffs with all the sails up. People were amazed at that. What would the third one do? How could the third one be any better? The third one took the boat into the middle of the calm water and at a reasonable speed just sailed it peacefully along through the calm water. Which one got the job? The billionaire said, I'll have the third one. I don't want people taking risks with my expensive luxury yacht. Now, what's the point of this? What's the point of this story? You are far more valuable than any yacht. You're made in the image of God. So don't see how close you can get to the dangerous rocks of sin. Don't sail close to the sinking sands of temptation. Keep away. We have a part to play in the answer to this prayer. Keep away. Play it safe. Now, I, I did want a next section that I'm going to have to cut for the sake of time. So make this something to talk about over dinner. Here's something to talk about over dinner. Does what I've just said mean become like a hermit? Just keep away from everyone and everything. Don't go to the shops in Loughborough, especially in summer, because you will see immodestly dressed people and you might be tempted to lust. Now, I'm asking a serious thing. Does it mean that? Because I've just said, you're more valuable than a luxury yacht. Keep away from the rocks of temptation. So, so what in practice do we avoid? Because temptation is everywhere. I was planning to go into that. Sorry, I'm not going to. Because I need to move on to something more important. But there's something for you to think and talk about. Uh, the next one, very quick, I've said, how does God answer this prayer? God's control, God's word, and thirdly, God's son. God's son. He was, this is, Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way, just like us, 
but without sin. So he's our example, but more importantly, he's our high priest. And at this moment, right now, think of this, right now, he is on the throne next to God. And he's representing us to his father. And he knows the experience of temptation and he's beaten it. And so he supplies us with the Holy Spirit who enables us to say no to temptation. How is this prayer going to be answered? We look to our father to control things. We follow his word that leads us and we need his son who represents us and supplies us. But I want to finish with this. We've had, what is this prayer for? How is it answered? Lastly, why pray it? Why pray this prayer? Why would you care about temptation and pray against it? Now, there's lots of answers to this. Here's some possible ones. Temptation may be an unpleasant experience. Want to avoid it. You feel bad about sin. Might be another one. And you don't like that feeling guilty. So pray against temptation. Here's another one. Sin has consequences that you want to avoid. Yes, you know that drunkenness tonight means hangover tomorrow morning. Want to avoid that. Or here's another. There are relational fallouts from temptation. If after church, on your way out, you trip over the curb and swear, people at church might hear you. Oh, and they might think badly of you. There's another motive. Now, they are not all 100% bad motives, but they're not good enough. They're not good enough. All the Lord's Prayer starts, sorry, flows from how it starts in verse 9. Children, what are the first two words in the Lord's Prayer? Have a look. Well, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. It's all for people who have God as Father. It all flows from having God as your father. How can that happen? How can you have God as your father? Now, here is the most important thing you'll hear today, especially if you're not a Christian or you're wondering about what Christianity is. Here's the most important thing. You need the sin that separates you from God dealt with. This was really what the children's talk was about. You've acted as if, as if life is better with God pushed away. And you need that put right. You can't wind back the clock and sort it out. No, Jesus died to sort it out, to take your punishment and to reconcile sinners to God. So you can have God as your father. So that you can pray, Father, I'm a child of yours who needs your protection and needs you to lead me. Have you trusted Jesus for that? Please do answer that to yourself now. Have you trusted Jesus for that? If not, will you? You could even now. And then surely you'll cherish having, this is where verse 13 then comes in. This is the best motive for praying it. Surely you'll cherish having God as Father. And, and you'll want to know him better. And surely you'll want to honour the God who's done all that for you. And so you'll want to avoid anything that spoils that relationship. you want to avoid anything that gets between you and God. you want to avoid anything that may dishonour him. 
And so you'll pray, lead us not into temptation. There's the best motive for praying this. You want to glorify and enjoy God and you want to avoid anything that spoils you glorifying and enjoying God. Here's a little story about that. Nice to see lots of students here. Students, I don't know if still you have at the beginning of the year, the vice chancellor gives a speech to new students. Did when I was at university. I don't know if it always happens. But I'll tell you about, he wasn't a vice chancellor. Robert Boyd was principal of Glasgow University back in the 1600s. Robert Boyd. Now, when he started, he gave a speech to the university. And he addressed the question people had. You see, Robert Boyd was an aristocrat, really upper class and very rich. And people thought, well, why did he take this job? And he answered them. He said in his speech to the university, I was under God's wrath because I was a sinner. But Jesus died to save me. What a great salvation. And so I have resolved to give my life to do all that I can to honour the Lord who has so loved me. And that's why I'm doing this role. For the glory of the Lord who loved me and saved me. Now, can you imagine the Vice-Chancellor of Loughborough University saying that's why he took the job? Sadly, I can't. I wish I could. Christian brothers and sisters, do you think like Robert Boyd did? Do you love God like Robert Boyd did? Do you want to avoid anything that would spoil your glorifying and enjoying God? So do you pray, lead us not into temptation? Will you, as you begin a new day, As you go into work, as you face new circumstances, in every situation and responsibility you go into, will you pray, lead us not into temptation?